And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for an opening prayer. Oh Lord, we are so thankful because you are faithful. And whatever happens, we should never doubt about your goodness. It would last forever because you are loving and caring God. And now when we open your word, help us to understand a little more about your goodness. How your goodness would save us, how your goodness would change us, how your goodness would enrich us. And we want to thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the meaning of thanksgiving. How do you relate to the mighty works of God? Are you thankful? Are you, are you thankful every day? Well, thanksgiving, according to my understanding, is much more, much deeper and stronger than simply giving thanks. Because we appreciate what God is doing, how he's saving, how he is providing. And we need to reach a point in our lives when I believe we all need to be thankful for every moment. And I found in the books of Psalm 1, one psalm which is, uh, I should say, a thanksgiving psalm. Have you ever seen or read this psalm? That's about thanksgiving. Psalm 107. If you would come with me to the book of Psalms. And 107. Psalm 107. In my New King James Bible... There is a title above the psalm. It says, Thanksgiving to the Lord for his great works of deliverance. So this is a beautiful psalm, a long one. I probably won't read the whole because it's too long. But what I found is that there are at least five aspects of God's goodness we should be thankful for. So please come and and read with me verses 1 through 3. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north And from the south. This is the experience of deliverance. Or redemption from the enemy. Do you have enemies? You don't need to raise your hands. (laughs) But this psalm is giving, or the psalm is David, who wrote this psalm, is giving thanks to the Lord for delivering him from his enemies, and he had many. And whenever you think about your enemies, please come back to this psalm 
107 and read it. Because in the very first few verses it says, Give thanks to the Lord for his good. And you know, this is a, a, a refrain. It, it repeats itself several times. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. And then his mercy, and you know the term mercy can be translated uh, into goodness. So it practically says, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his good and his goodness. That's his mercy. His goodness endures forever. And how do we know that God is good? By experiencing redemption or deliverance from the enemy. And God's goodness, as we know from the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, says that you don't know that the goodness of God would lead you to repentance. That's the only power, as we understand, in the whole universe that can change us. And as we study the book of Romans, we need to understand something. This book is about the righteousness of God and not about the righteousness of man. That book tells us that because of the goodness of God, we can come to repentance. And whenever we think about his goodness, the next thing we need to mention is redemption. We are redeemed because he is good. And as I grew up uh, in an Adventist home, I was always wondering about the goodness of God. And as bad things are happening to good people, and I experienced it in my childhood, I was really wondering, is God good? So how is it that bad things can happen to good people if God is still good? I don't know the answer. I mean, it's not a satisfying answer because sometimes we feel that it is just not right. It is just not right what is going on in my life. When I think about our little granddaughter Lily, she just passed nine. And she's been struggling with cancer for five years. Over five years now. And you just don't understand. You, you cannot really explain how can it be resolved when you think about the goodness of God. But this psalm encourages me to think more about the goodness of God and not asking any further questions. You know, sometimes the trouble with us is that we are asking too many questions. When we studied the Sabbath school together this morning, uh, we understand, uh, understood something that Paul liked asking questions. And you know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus liked asking questions. And so in my mind, I'm preparing for some sermons about the questions of Jesus. 
But we need to learn something. We, we just have to reach a point in life when we would not ask any further questions that are related to the goodness of God. We should never question his goodness. Because if his goodness leads us to repentance, which is in Romans 2 verse 4, then if it changes or ever changes, we would have no hope. Because without the goodness of God, there would be no place or means that would help us to repent. So the first thing is we need to remember of this psalm is that God is delivering. He rejoices when he can deliver. And think about the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 where we have three parables about the lost and found. Lost and found. And Jesus is telling in those stories that there is joy up in heaven when a lost is found. So this is the greatest joy of God when his goodness brings some good fruits. So number one we need to remember is um, redeeming from the enemy. So our source of strength is in the goodness of God. Second, teaching or aspect of his goodness is found in verses 8 and 9. It says, Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Without God, we would be lost. And sometimes I wonder how people can live without God. Think about that. They would say that because of the laws of nature, it just all happened. And everything is following a cause and effect. A cause and effect. So the laws of cause and effect would determine everything. But this psalm is, is talking about something else. He, meaning God, would satisfy the longing soul and he will fill the hungry soul with goodness. This is his unfailing care. And if you turn a few pages to Psalm 23, do you like Psalm 23? Sometimes we read Psalm 23 when we have a funeral. But we should read this at other occasions as well. I just want to read two verses. Psalm 23 and then verses 5 and 6. The very concluding part. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? 
sometimes your enemies would not go away. But they would not prevent God from giving you blessings. Even in the presence of your enemies. And this is another psalm written by uh, King David. He had many enemies. And that's probably one of the reasons why he was a man after God's own heart. Because this man would never forget that even in the presence of his enemies, God anointed him as a king. And he prepared a table for him. Which means that God welcomed him. And you know, sometimes the enemies are still around. But you can rejoice in the presence of the Lord. He would not remove those enemies. But instead he would give you blessings. So much so that he said, my cup. There was a symbol of the blessing of the Lord. My cup runs over. So he's giving you more than sometimes you can hold. Runs over means meaning that God is giving more so that you can learn from him to give. And then David at the end of the psalm is saying that your goodness will be with me. Your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So he was sure that God's goodness and mercy would never depart from him. And I just want to repeat it to encourage all of you. Whenever you feel that the goodness of God is fading things are not going the way you expected them think about this song that your goodness your mercy would would follow me in the days of my life and then going back to Psalm 107 he said something about this goodness that would would help us to realize something that whenever our soul is longing or is hungry, then God will fill this hungry soul with goodness. And there were people in Christian history like Augustine. Do you remember the church father Augustine? He was a great scholar. And he said that our soul would not find rest until it finds God. Or we should rather say, until God finds us. So this is what we need to remember, that his goodness will find us. And he would satisfy the hungry soul. And sometimes I wonder about people who are trying to find joy in life without God. And then try to run after things in life. 
just to find something that would satisfy their soul, their longing. And when they reached that point, almost touching the thing, they would disappear. Or when they got what they wanted, they would say, oh, it's not what I really wanted. So there's no satisfaction. But the second lesson we need to learn, learn from this psalm is that he would satisfy the longing soul and he would fill the hungry soul with goodness. But there is a third lesson. If you move to verse 15 and 16, Psalm 107, verses 15 and 16. And this is about liberation. Are you under the burden of a sin? Maybe sins, difficulties, sickness, some heartache, headache. Are you under some kind of depression or disappointment? Well, verses 15 and 16. This is, is written for you. Psalm 107, 15 and 16. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. This is the refrain that is repeated all the time. At least five times in this song. For his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. What is this? This is a very interesting picture. Have you ever tried to, to break bronze or iron? Well, you would need special tools to do that. But with human strength, that's impossible. Does that mean that God is going to do something for you which is impossible? Humanly speaking, that would be impossible. And I found something in the book of Isaiah. So please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, where this sentence is repeated. It says... He has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. The same sentence is repeated in another part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. So if you turn with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 and verses 1 and 2. The book of Isaiah, chapter 45, and verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Who is his anointed? Is he talking about King David? Or, or Solomon? No. About a pagan, a pagan king, a Persian person. Uh, Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you 
and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. Isn't that interesting that God will bless a pagan king, Cyrus? And this prophecy was written about 350 years before Cyrus came into existence. So if there is no proof to the existence of God, then at least consider the prophecies. You know, these are hallmarks of his omnipotence and his all his 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 characteristic of all knowing. And God does not know impossible. We humans do. But he doesn't consider, if you can say that, uh, would not consider anything impossible. And the Bible is full of stories of humanly impossible situations. And for the Jews to, to listen to a king who said, you can go back home freely after 70 years, If you go to the book of Ezra, you will find out that there was Cyrus. He said, you can go back home, you can rebuild your city, you can rebuild your temple. I can even give you money, treasures. I, I can give you all the, the instruments or whatever you had, uh, pieces of furniture in the temple, the holy items. I will give them back to you. You can go and build up your home. It wasn't that the mercy of God? He broke the bronze. He opened the, the doors and then he cut the iron bars. We would not understand this and nobody really understands, but if you look at prophecies, the whole human history is, is, is a proof that God is guiding human history. It's, it's not, it's not a, a chain of accidents. The Lord says to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. You know, when Moses had to pray, they needed help to hold his hands up to pray to the Lord. And then, the same Lord is saying that I will uphold his hand. He is my anointed pagan king. And he would subdue nations and lose the armor of kings. And he was the one who practically destroyed the new Babylonian empire. He was a great man. And God said, the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. And this is a very interesting sentence. He says, I will make the crooked places straight. You remember before Jesus came into this world, 
incarnation, there was somebody who made the, the, the roads or the ways straight before him. That was John the Baptist. And now God is talking about this man and saying that I will make crooked places straight and I will break in pieces the gates of bronze, cut the bars of iron. Wonderful liberation. A prophecy that was written 350 years in advance. Think about that. That's the mercy and goodness of God. And let's move back to Psalm 107, coming to number four. Point number four, and this is found in verses 21 and 22. Psalm 107, verses 21 and 22. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. He's repeating it again. For his wonderful works to the children of men, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Sacrifices with joyful singing in another translation. What is the real sacrifice? What is the real sacrifice? Is it something we we give to the Lord? Can, can we give anything to the Lord? Think about that. Can we can we give him anything because he created the whole universe? Can we give him anything? Because sometimes we wonder why did the Israelites um, give so much uh, sacrifices to the Lord? What was the purpose? Or can you give sacrifice without rejoicing? Something, you are doing something out of routine. I think there was a temptation for the Jews to do something almost automatically, just repeating things on a daily basis. But their heart was not in. God wants us to understand something. The real sacrifice is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And when you declare his works with rejoicing or with singing, You know, once I remember I was talking to a, a Jewish rabbi and asked him, what do you think is the main teaching of the Bible? You know, for a Jew, the Bible is not what we consider as a Bible because they would not include the New Testament. They would, they would only have the Old Testament. And then the rabbi said something which I will never forget. He said that this is found in the book of Micah. Micah. If you find this book, in my Bible it is, it's the New King James, it's page 1189. Micah. 
I know it's not easy to find, but this, this is a very special prophecy, Micah 6, and in verses 7 and 8. And he said, this is the essence of our faith. He was a Jewish rabbi. He said, this is the summary of all what we can do, what we, what should, we should do. Micah 6, and verses 7 and 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy or loving kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So what is the real sacrifice? Thousands of rams, ten thousands of rivers of oil. What, what is this? If you multiply your sacrifices, would not really reach what you are longing for. He says, what does the Lord require of you? Three things. To do justly. And that's what we need to remember, to do justly to everyone. That's not easy. I know it's not easy. But we have to learn it. And to love mercy. And I love this sentence, this short sentence. It says, love love mercy or love uh, loving kindness. It means that you are not simply doing something. You are loving what you are doing. You know, if you do something for money and you get enough money, you say, that's okay. If you do something what you don't like, but do it. You do it for some income. But when you do something and you love it, and you may be paid for that, that's the best. So this Bible verse is saying that you love something. You love mercy or loving kindness. You need to love it in order to do it from your heart. And finally, to walk humbly. You need to learn that too. Because there is a temptation all the time that I will do it. I can do it. Have you heard this from your child? I can do it. You know, you, you want to help. No, I can do it. And, and even some adults behave like this. You want to help? And they say, no, I can do it. I don't need help. We visited somebody at the Sandusky Church, I remember, 93, no, 96, 96. He's 96. He's still driving his car. The police stopped him a few times because he was kind of wiggling on the road and the, the police didn't know if he was drunk or something. He said, no, I'm not drinking alcohol. 
And so he had a little trouble with, with uh, his license, but he got it back. And I remember when we visited him his, in his own home, he said, I can do it. I, I am on my own. I've been, I've been a widower for some time. And I just, by accident, I just asked him, who is cooking for you? I do it. He said, I do it. I can do it. And he's a crippled man. I need to tell you, crippled man. He, he has walking canes, too. And he walks from home to his car. From his car to the church and back. And he says, I can do it. I don't need help. So this is what I sometimes uh, have a, a little difficult time to really understand. Is this some kind of selfishness behind could be, could be something which is just the opposite to what we have read. That you walk humbly with your God. And if you need help, you need to accept the help. Because the very sentence says you walk humbly with your God. And let's move to the very last point. Number five. Go back to Psalm 107. This is a beautiful part. It's close to the conclusion. It says in verse uh, 31 and 32. This is Psalm 107 and verses 31 and 32. It says, Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. It would be so nice if he had some time at least once a year, maybe at next Thanksgiving, to give some praises to the Lord. So everyone who feels he or she was blessed would give uh, praise to him in the company of the elders or, or of the congregation. The purpose of worship. What is the purpose of worship? To exalt God. That's what we need to learn. We are not exalting one another We are not polishing our pictures. We are giving thanks to the Lord. We are exalting Him. Let them exalt Him also in the, in the assembly of the people and praise Him in the company of the elders. And as I was thinking of this sentence, let them exalt Him also in the assembly of the people. I came across with an interesting Bible verse, and that's going to be my concluding verse. This is found in Hebrews, in the New Testament. 
So keep in mind that I exalt him in the assembly. This is worship. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed, and he's talking about Jesus. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, and there is the quotation, of Psalm 107. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. The same sentence is found in Psalm 22 and then verse 22. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. And he declares the name of the Lord in the midst of the assembly. Have you ever been ashamed of Jesus? Because he is not ashamed of you. He paid a very high price for your goodness, for your deliverance. And he, he is never ashamed of calling you his brothers or sisters. So when we think about the goodness of God and really want to give thanks, think about these aspects that are described in Psalm 107. We always need to remember his goodness because his goodness keeps us going. And I... I really want to wish you a very pleasant holiday season. This is just the beginning of the season. And uh, I think in the next few weeks, it is good and it's fitting to think about God's goodness. Without that, we would be lost. But because of his goodness, he has provided more than what we need. My cup runs over. That's what uh, King David said in Psalm 23. And this is a beautiful psalm. Please remember 107. Probably not too difficult because of the 7. 10. It's easy to remember. 7 is another good number in the Bible. So please remember, whenever you feel you are depressed, something is going wrong, something is not coming as you, you are hoping for, then... Go to this song, 107, and think about the goodness of God. May God bless all of us. Amen.